0: The SBS story is interesting also from the perspective of how different people are treated by the criminal justice system. SPF is currently fighting against a Department of Justice proposal to limit his computer and information technology access to just a flip phone and maybe only allow him to go to the internet to some specific pages like YouTube and DoorDash or something. And it's wild because I think the standard process for most people involved with the U.S., justice system would just immediately take away all of these privileges. But SBF, he gets special treatment, even though he's accused of pretty serious crimes, including campaign finance violations. I mean, maybe some people don't appreciate how serious that is, but in the United States at least, there is the perception that if you're messing around with money in politics, you're actually corroding the system of governance and the social contract. And I think at least some people still believe that that's a really serious crime.
1: Yeah, the trick there is you just buy off enough politicians that they don't care. Um, I think you and I were both shocked when he got bail, and a condition of the bail was not no internet. Like, I think we were shocked. Like, how could they let him have access to the internet? And then, if you recall, it was something like three days after he was home, a whole bunch of FTX funds moved around. Remember that?
0: It was obviously him. Yeah. It was so obviously him. It just had to And have he been. was on a VPN. He even defended using a VPN because he wanted to watch college football. Well, you're in the US. College football's on the T V. Why are you Using a VPN to VPN into the Bahamas to get your NFL or it was it was baseball. He was watching. He said he was watching baseball, but there was no baseball playing. Someone who knows baseball was like, "What game is he watching? There's nothing on."
1: I can't believe that. It's crazy. Now they're saying, "Well, okay, maybe he can have his laptop, but we'll put our monitoring software on there, and then what? he can go." Yeah, that's one of the things they want to do is they want to install monitoring software. Like what
0: is? What are they going to put on there? Like FireEye or something?
1: I would imagine it's a MacBook, just based on the fact that there was a bunch of Macs in the FTX office. I actually don't know what, what the department of justice deploys to monitor macos <laughs> um but you know they would ha- they say they'd have something they'd put on there sounds like a future coder radio section right. also you get like it would be restricted to did you see on the list so it's youtube Wikipedia, the NFL, DoorDash, like you mentioned, government websites, and Etherscan.
0: Why would he need Etherscan unless he was doing something with cryptocurrency? Also, I mean, I don't know if this is going to change the rating of the episode, but if Pornhub is not on that list, then he is breaking the law.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose so. You know, maybe he has in-house visits. I don't know. But I just can't believe that this guy has gotten this softball treatment like this after he has just stolen so many funds from so many people around the world. It seems like there's so many countries who would love to get their hands on SBF. And over here, he's getting the white glove treatment of white gloves. You know, they're contemplating restricting his access. It's not even restricted right now.
0: It almost feels like, and I'm, this isn't a conspiracy, oh, inside job. I'm just saying, it kind of feels like everyone's kind of happy that he defrauded a huge number of people and tarnished the reputation of crypto businesses as a whole. It's almost like maybe good job, buddy. Okay, we can't be too rough on you because, hey, you took down crypto.
1: Nice. You know what I think it is? I think it is just a horrible dystopia fact here. But I think the the simple matter is what he did isn't that far off the standard deviation for how businesses operate today. The financialization has gotten so crazy that what he did to a lot of business types and money people doesn't seem that, that crazy. And I think That's why at first Sam himself was like, well, what's the big deal? I'll just get some money back in. We'll cover that. We just need about another four bill. We're we're good to go. We just need four bill coming in. We get that going. We got this fine. Then we're fine. There's no problems here. Right? It's because he's not operating that far off the standard these days. And so he's not like in the eyes of the established and in the eyes of the elite, he really hasn't done anything that horrible out of the ordinary other than screwing around with the money.
0: Kind of reminds me of Do Quan in that Do Quan, maybe we concluded, he was actually selected by his VC backers as the most sociopathic founder because they identified that, okay, you've got this thing called Terra Luna, and let's just assume that these VCs aren't idiots. So if they're not idiots, then they realize, okay, this thing is structurally unstable. It's going to blow up sometime. But we know that, That if you can convince people it's stable, we can print money for quite some time, months, maybe years. So we need the most sociopathic founder who will lie to everyone's face and say everything's fine up until the moment it explodes. And that's exactly what Do Kwon did. Well, maybe SBF is of the same cloth. They're in the meeting with him and they're thinking, man, this person is completely out of touch with reality in a way that really sells. I like it. Yeah. Your
1: next dollar is going to be spent here. And oh God, he's such a big thinker. Bananas on the blockchain. He was playing video games while he did that meeting. Wow, what a genius. What a genius. Hey, I've got ADD too, maybe. Who knows? (laughs) I can't. I gotta. I gotta imagine this passes. I don't know about the no smartphone thing. That the restricting him to a flip phone certainly makes me smile. <laughs> I'd love to see a picture of SBF on his flip phone. <laughs> I hope the battery still works.
0: This is the Bitcoin Dad Pod, recorded on Saturday, March fourth, twenty twenty three. I'm your Bitcoin Dad, and I'm here in
1: person, infrequently, with me. Hey, hello, everybody. It's Chris. Welcome back to the show. It's nice to have you here.
0: Today, we're going to discuss an article about how El Salvador is suddenly a Wall Street finance darling. What's going on there? Haven't heard anything good about them in the media for a long time. Silvergate, a U.S. regional bank turned crypto company banker, looks like it is facing insolvency. There's some. Fascinating knockdown effects. I think that anybody who thinks that the crypto Bitcoin winter is over is probably wrong because this is a major provider of financial liquidity to these non traditional finance systems. You take out sources of liquidity, prices go down. It's just math, I think. There's some more Tether FUD from the Wall Street Journal. The theme this week is FUD. And uh, Operation Chokepoint 2.0, basically attacking the dollar on ramps for crypto businesses. So this Tether fud is part of that, in my opinion. In privacy, I got a email from Discord about changes to their. Privacy policy. And I thought that was an interesting jumping off point to talk about how businesses and individuals need to consider controlling their own data for communications platforms because it can be taken away from you and your behavior can be curtailed at any point with a policy change. In Bitcoin education, Darth Coin wrote a pretty cool guide to help Blue Wallet users open their own Lightning backend. We talked last week about how Blue Wallet was removing a custodial Lightning option, so Darth Coin wrote a guide for everyone on how to do it. And it's like many of his guides; I think we've linked to them before. It's really good, and I just I love the intro. He says something about, "Hey, I know you guys think that I'm a jerk, but I'm trying to help in my own way." Also, go f yourself. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, you know <laughs> it's like very Bitcoin, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then we also have Bitcoin Optech to forty and then some boost,
1: heck, yeah. Heck yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm realizing that uh, we had some really great boosts this week. I'm looking ahead a little bit. I was just peeking. There's some really good ones in there. Thank you, everybody. But we have quite a bit to get to before we get to them boosts.
0: We've been discussing how El Salvador is such a challenging subject, because on the one hand, there seems to be a lot of more mainstream coverage of how Bukele, the El Salvadorian president.
1: Actually, excuse me, the young El Salvadorian president, as they always say in the media.
0: He is very young. The young. you know, it's funny, they don't say the old President Biden. That's interesting. I listened to a couple of politics podcasts, and it's amazing how even very professional, very inside baseball politicians or or commentators have trouble saying things like, oh yeah, President Biden's all there. I, I feel like I have to cut this, but you know, it's just, I mean, Biden versus Trump, you've got like two geriatric people who are falling apart. It's like a perfect metaphor for our political system. I think so too. I know it's, it's really wild where we're at. But Naive Bukele, he gets a pass from the Bitcoin community because he passed a Bitcoin bill that made Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. And I think part of that is that Bitcoin can be used for remittances and El Salvador is very dependent on remittances. On the other hand, there is evidence that El Salvador doesn't get that much Bitcoin remittances. And so how impactful is this really? Having been to El Salvador, I would say definitely an interesting proposal and a step in the right direction. The thing is, you want to have Bitcoin by default. It really can't hurt, in my view. And it can provide a lot of value to people who have difficulty with the traditional banking system and there are a lot of efficiencies and values to be gained there. On the other hand, Bukele is very controversial because El Salvador is a pretty violent, chaotic place, and he has some incredibly authoritarian policies, including releasing i terrifying videos on Twitter of basically gang members wearing only their underwear shackled together and being kind of like herded through prisons. So it's pretty scary stuff. At the same time, he has this Bitcoin thing. So I think there's this conflict where on the mainstream side where you know nothing about Bitcoin, you look at Naebi Kelly and you're like, this guy looks like a freaking dictator, a psycho. And on the Bitcoin side, people are saying this guy is pro-Bitcoin.
1: He's the best or he's cool or something. I think it's also his willingness to publicize the nitty gritty dark side of organizations like the IMF. And he's, I think, put a real spotlight on their shady practices and the way they name and shame countries that don't play along. And I think that has been an interesting thing to watch. One of the reasons I I like to follow just what's developing down there because of that. You know, he is, I think, the definition of a mixed bag for Bitcoiners. You have this like you mentioned this this gang crackdown which itself is very nuanced issue because you have a significant gang problem down there and they really kind of run some of the cities down there, right the gangs the local government takes orders from the gangs like it's that bad and that is turning around and i think the other thing that we we, we forget is when you've lived in that environment for so long to have that start to turn around it's got to feel like water to somebody who's lived in a desert forever
0: absolutely you can't have economic activity and a good life and development if you don't have physical. Safety. It's just, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, physical safety is way at the bottom. It's just a requirement.
1: I think we would probably be taking the same actions here in the States if we had a problem like this. I wouldn't like it then either. I'm actually, I'm extremely opposed to incarceration in most cases, like, except for the absolute extreme cases where somebody's an extreme risk to other safety. And it, maybe these gang members would qualify as that.
0: I mean, the U.S. has a pretty extreme approach to incarceration. And, you know, some would say that it's pretty obvious that the U.S.'s use of incarceration is essentially propagating
1: social structures from the 19th century, even. Yeah, and they're for-profit prisons, too. Right. So that's very troubling. But back to El Salvador, you have also the fact that tourism is booming for them, in part because of this Bitcoin stuff. And I think he has to crack down on the violence and the crime for tourism to continue to flourish. And tourism could become a big business for El Salvador.
0: At the same time, when you're cracking down, you can crack down on everybody, including your critics. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly a strong man, so he's not pro-democracy. He's not excited Mm -hmm. to see political opposition seem like he'd pretty obviously be suppressing it. At the same time, what's going on with El Salvador's sovereign debt? Now, this is really interesting. The IMF declined to help El Salvador roll its foreign debt position after the Bitcoin law. And it was pretty clear that the IMF thought, OK, if we put the screws on legacy finance, what we'll do is we will starve the El Salvadorian regime of cash, and then they'll either have to come and deal with us and we'll get rid of this Bitcoin law, which is an ex- existential threat. To and ordinate. probably
1: this young Bekele jerk along with it.
0: Well, of course, and, you know, and that's kind of how the IMF works, because the IMF, based on the writing. Of Alex Gladstein and writing of other economic and political historians, the IMF is, you know, sort of a who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? You know, they are basically pretty open. Look, if you're willing to do structural adjustment that makes your economy better for Western financial neocolonialism, then we will lend you, the government in power, lots of money. And if you want to use that on a security force to torture political opponents and suppress the population that is your business you know we're just here to suck up all your natural resources
1: sign on the dotted line here make these structural changes to your society that we require that you make and this is the amount you're going to owe us every month
0: and here's a huge chunk of cash that you can embezzle you can use to buy control of your political system so you're making a deal with us but it's a comfortable one if you're in control yeah Now, what happened with El Salvador is they've been experimenting with trying to find funding somewhere else, and I don't think they have succeeded with their Bitcoin bond offering Their concept of doing government debt, the so-called volcano bond on the Bitcoin liquid network via Bitfinex and Tether, I think that didn't work out probably because the Bitcoin price crashed and there was less interest in that offering. But El Salvador has been purchasing outstanding government debt of their own. And this is awesome because what they're doing is their debt is not being sold one-on-one the dollar. It's being sold at a discount because El Salvador is seen as a default risk. So anyone who's holding El Salvadorian government debt would really like it if you came and bought it because they are stressed out. And El Salvador is like, yeah, we'll buy it. And so they're they're buying their own debt at a discount, which is, if you think about the game theory, that's wild. That's like, I borrow a hundred bucks from Chris and then I'm holding the... $100 bill and he's holding the contract that says I'll pay him back and I'm about to like this $100 bill on fire and myself and he'll never get his money back and I'm like okay I'll give you a 50 for that and he's Chris is like okay fine <laughs> <laughs> All except 50 back. It's it's crazy, right? It's like you don't want to deal with a government like this. But they have managed to buy back $542 million of debt that was due in 2025, and they prepaid $800 million of bonds. So they've reduced their deposition a lot. And this actually is really sexy for Wall Street. And so this is an interesting pro El Salvador, pro Bukele article from a Wall Street finance perspective. How do they get that money is a question. And there is a some hint from coverage from El Faro, which is the anti Bukele's El Salvadorian newspaper, and also some other kind of ad hoc word of mouth hearsay reports that El Salvadorian civil servants haven't been paid in months. So Bukele may be doing something really cheeky where he's literally not paying the people in the government, maybe, and taking that money and using it to buy off external debt so that the government's debt position is more secure and his regime will have access to funding in the future. Interesting strategy. Wonder if that's A, happening, and two, how it's going to work out.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't seem like something he could get away with for very long before he'd start to have a revolt on his hands and end up dead, right?
0: But if you're an authoritarian, maybe you can handle that.
1: Maybe for a while. I could see it for a while. But inevitably, the people got to get paid. They got to eat. So it just seems like inevitable. You'd have a revolution on your hands. It just take a, it, it. You could be, it definitely stretch it out longer. That's a great example of only place you get any kind of reporting on that is from the anti Bukele paper. And it's just wish that some of our institutions would just take a level head at this some, and go do some actual journalism and tell us what's going on down there. But we do get some signals, like you're mentioning. Wall Street loves it. There was a asset specialist manager for uh, the Latin America region who works out of New York, and the Wall Street Journal quoted them as saying, quote, we just love his willingness to pay back. They love it. They love that he's doing it. They, They love everything. About it. And uh, to them, it makes it look like it's a great deal for them. They go on to say they've already tightened the belt with fiscal spending. This is uh, another person that the Wall Street Journal quotes. It was never about the willingness to pay. It was about the ability to pay. And now the two have converged as far as they are concerned.
0: This is such a bond like company logic. They're always concerned about willingness to pay and ability. It's all, it's all about risk mitigation. So yeah. They, yeah. They love it. And of course, they're tightening the belt with fiscal spending. Yeah. Maybe that's coming out of salaries. Maybe there is a, a
1: dark side to that. Could be. Tourism's up. Maybe money's up. I don't know. Uh, this is one of the things where maybe we'll just keep an eye on it, right? And see what other information we can glean. This is another one of those types of stories that just makes me want to get down there.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, see it we're going to adopting Bitcoin. So that's going to be
1: fun. All right. All right. You're right. We're going to make it happen, right? I've got a whole plan for it. You're going to kidnap me? Is that your plan? There are these gangs, you see. <laughs> <laughs> we have ways. We have ways. it'd probably be for my own good let's be honest yeah you need help you need help
0: now uh, chris we talked a huge amount before the show, we really should have been recording about Silvergate, a US bank that's pretty famous for, I think being Coinbase's bank for a very long time. And Coinbase's relationship with Silvergate was what turned them into the US's largest cryptocurrency exchange because other companies didn't have access to banking. And so Silvergate was a bank that really specialized in giving banking services to crypto firms. And it is in serious trouble since the FTX explosion.
1: I feel like one of the things you blew my mind with when we were talking before the show started was, I guess I didn't quite appreciate how central Silvergate was to liquidity functioning in the crypto market. Boy, when, when you kind of put it all together, it sounds like we could be looking at a lot less access to fiat on ramps for exchanges.
0: I'm just an observer here. So there are insiders who are going to say what we're about to say is completely wrong. At the same time, in my opinion, it seems like there are two banks in the United States that service crypto firms, Silvergate and Signature Bank. And they both seem kind of similar in that I think both were regional banks, so not super large. Silvergate was originally focused on mortgage origination, and that's why it was able to access the San Francisco Federal Home Loan Program for emergency liquidity, which was part of the panic around Silvergate that's resulted in most of their deposit base leaving when they reach for emergency liquidity. And one issue we've discussed a lot is how changes in banking policy and rules around how banks can operate have resulted in massive centralization of banking around the world, especially in the United States. And regional banks that are not large enough to be too big to fail, but also not super small either. They've really been struggling to make money and survive in the lean decades since 2008 world monetary crisis, as I like to call it now, not a financial crisis. So Signature and Silvergate discovered that crypto was really wanted banking services. They were super excited to have a bank account. They put a lot of money through the bank. They were really good customers in some sense. And they completely like revamp their business model to service crypto clients. And that's cool, but Silvergate has had some problems. So one problem inherent with this model is that if most banks won't bank crypto clients, and only a few banks will, then those banks that bank crypto clients are hugely concentrated in crypto. So if all of those crypto companies go bankrupt, suddenly those banks lose all their customers and their deposits. So that's very risky from a certain perspective. Another issue is that Silvergate got tarnished by FTX because it turned out that FTX was taking funds from Alameda and customers who were sending money to FTX were actually sending it to the Alameda bank account at Silvergate. And so this looked really bad. There was some congressional inquiry. Hey, Silvergate, why did you let this happen? And maybe... Silvergate didn't do anything wrong. Maybe they were just fooled by FTX. At the same time, this is kind of a compliance failure. So that looks bad from a compliance perspective. Also, Silvergate was doing something pretty revolutionary, dare I say, with the Silvergate Exchange Network. So traditional finance dollar banking works nine to four on weekdays. Crypto is trading 24 seven, 365 days a year. This creates serious problems, especially for like stable coin issuers who need to kind of pair what's happening on the blockchain with what's happening in bank accounts and exchanges who also have the same sort of issues. So what Silvergate did, and I think Signature Bank has a similar system, is once you onboarded with Silvergate and you had a bank account with them with funds in it, you could trade instantaneously with any other Silvergate customer, which is cool. I mean, that totally makes sense. We're both in the same bank. Why can't we just trade back and forth? And I don't know if there was a blockchain or something that was kind of keeping track of consensus on these trades, or if they were just doing it in a high performance database. But essentially this meant that once all these companies onboarded to Silvergate, they suddenly had a back end to each other. And this helped do trading and provide financial liquidity throughout the crypto ecosystem because there were arbitrage trades where, you know, Bitcoin's high on one exchange, low on another. Well, I can send dollars instantly via Silvergate between the two exchanges and do some arbitraging. And this makes an efficient market. It also creates a lot of financial activity, creates a lot of liquidity. So Silvergate looks like it's dead. It's the most shorted stock in America. They're shutting down this exchange network, which was kind of a golden goose for them. Coinbase, which I think was their biggest client, has decided to switch all of its business to other providers. They even are late filing their 10K financial report, which suggests that, you know, maybe they're not going to make it.
1: Yeah, the shutting down of their exchange network that they have, to me, seems like a sign that crypto is going to have a very long win because uh, you don't have prices go up unless there's money coming in. And when you shut down the one of two sources for money to enter the ecosystem, that's bad, right? Like, I can't see how we have any kind of bull run when one of the two sources of fiat on ramps, Is going away. And it seems like that exchange network that they set up for Silvergate customers was also an important source of liquidity and action between the different exchanges, which is also now gone.
0: In traditional markets, it's been very fashionable to talk a lot about the plumbing of the financial system. Silvergate was clearly a water main in the crypto system plumbing, and that water main has just been blown up. So there is going to be issues with market functioning, in my opinion. If you lose these important linkages between crypto markets, And I don't think this is going to kill Bitcoin. Is this going to impact the price of Bitcoin? Who knows? I think short-term prices are completely disconnected from reality in many respects and only determine short-term liquidity. At the same time, this looks like it would be bad for liquidity. So I don't quite see the bullishness of current price action and what people are talking about.
1: Good news. means the boosts are going to stay cheap for a while, Uh, but that is going to be wild to watch. And I was just thinking, Coinbase, right, they've been plumbed into Silvergate forever. And I can only imagine the engineering task that they had to scramble to switch over to a different liquidity provider. You got to imagine so much of their plumbing, to speak, to, you know, to, to use a term, was built you know, a decade ago uh, around Silvergate. It's, it's That's got to be, I mean, Coinbase shrugs it off. It's like, oh yeah, we've just added a new provider, but I guarantee you there were some monster shifts pulled by some engineers. <laughs> this just doesn't just happen overnight.
0: They probably couldn't have done it during a bull market, but it's a bear market. So I imagine volumes are down. So they might have the ability to make these big infrastructure changes.
1: That's all right. I'm just going to put all my money into Tether for a while and ride this thing out. That should be fine, right? Because it's a stablecoin. It's
0: wild that all of this anti-crypto banking activity in the U.S. seems to have been pushing participants towards Tether, towards using Tether, which is literally a U.S. dollar stablecoin run by a secretive company offshore that no one can regulate. No one knows where they're domiciled. No one knows where these people are. I mean, Tether is very secretive because if governments knew more about Tether, they would shut it down. So it's a very kind of, in my view, fundamentally unstable business operating environment, yet it is the most popular U.S. dollar stablecoin with over $70 billion in deposits.
1: Do you think that's just market advantage, you know, first player kind of thing? Or is there a market demand that drives that?
0: Well, there's obviously a market demand. And I think that demand for Tether probably contains two things. One, demand for dollars globally, just dollarization. Probably everyone in the world would be happier if they were using dollars instead of their local currency. That would probably be better for everybody. Two, it's demand for speculation because Tether's most useful thing is that there's this version of it that's issued on Ethereum that you can put into smart contracts. So a lot of the degenerate smart contract gambling that all these hedge funds that are really the participants in DeFi are doing is using Tether as the liquidity there. So I think USDC, which is the U.S.-regulated stablecoin, has become more popular over time. Tether is still, by a large margin, the most popular U.S. dollar stablecoin in the world.
1: So then it seems kind of notable that we see the Wall Street Journal kind of uh, putting a little fear and maybe a little uncertainty and a bit of doubt out there about it, too. I think there's, it just feels like there's a lot of action regarding banking going on right now.
0: Right. And the allegation is that Tether lied on their applications for bank accounts so it's a company it has bank accounts in various jurisdictions And it deposits money into these bank accounts. And then it issues stable coins on public blockchains that you can use as a dollar proxy in a digital ecosystem. And if you're a large enough customer, because I think the the limit is like $100,000 or a million dollars or something, you can take these stable coins and send them back to Tether and they'll send money to your bank account. It's a manual process, though. I mean, you know, obviously, because it involves a bank account transfer. So only certain kind of big market makers, big hedge funds have this relationship with Tether. For everyone else, you can just sell Tethers and eventually those Tethers will end up at a big market maker who can actually settle them into dollars. That means that Tether needs bank accounts, and that's a place for U.S. financial regulators to attack Tether.
1: And I suppose, you know, as we look forward to like CBDCs and things like that, it just feels like there's going to be more and more heat on Tether, because essentially it's going to become a competitor to whatever the U.S. government lands on, to a degree, I guess. At least I could see them looking at it that way. I don't know if the market would agree, but I could see the U.S. government looking at something like Tether that's an outside-of-the-country run You know, when CBDCs are trying to get adopted, I could see them getting territorial about that kind of thing. The Wall Street Journal is well connected to the banking industry, right? That's why I just think when you see a FUD piece like this in the Wall Street Journal, I'm not a Tether fan. I don't I don't have any Tether. I don't own any Tether. I never will. But maybe I shouldn't say that, but I don't have any plan. Right. But it just seems like when you see kind of like a hit piece in the Wall Street Journal, a soft hit piece, but a hit piece in the Wall Street Journal I always think association with banking industry, like there's just perhaps more. Perhaps I'm overanalyzing it.
0: Well, it's definitely kind of just casting aspersions because while maybe there were leaked emails that demonstrated that Tether executives would do anything necessary to stay connected to the legacy banking system because that is literally their business. They also mention that Sam Bankman freed something, something, something. Well, that has nothing to do with Tether. Tether doesn't have a connection to SBF and his fraud. So that's just tarnishing everything with the SBF fraud.
1: They do the same thing later on with uh, a a terrorist and talking about, you know, financing a terrorist operation in 2020. And they talk about, you know, black market money transmitting business in in between and Bitfinex. And they're kind of just throwing a lot of shade around. And of course, Chain Analysis, your friends over there, get a nice rosy plug for helping get to the bottom of this million dollar terrorist funding.
0: Wow, million dollar. That was must be the most peaceful terrorist ever. That's <laughs> nothing.
1: But there's actually nothing in here that says they were using Tether. I mean, they may have been. They likely were. But the article never actually says Tether was what the terrorist was using. They just say that a terrorist used cryptocurrency. (laughs) Okay. All right. What about all those terrorists using dollars? Oh, my God. We need to shut this thing down. Well, those ones, we just ship them. (laughs) We just ship them the dollars on crates. So it's easy.
0: I don't have as much experience with hosting communication systems as you do. And I think my introduction to private communication was probably Signal, actually. But I know that in the past, you used to have a Discord server for your community, but you've moved over to Matrix.
1: Yeah, we still have a self-hosted one because it's just sort of taken off on its own. But we moved over to Matrix, and we do run that ourselves. Kind of because I feel like if we won't, who will kind of a thing. So there's that element of it. But also it's an opportunity to learn, kind of be on the front lines of an interesting free software project and kind of adapt as things change. But it's been a really really successful experiment. I think it's one of the greatest resources we have for our community now. And I like the option that I can jump into private chat rooms that are end-to-end encrypted. And I like that we can have public chat rooms that are unencrypted if that's what we want. So that way the performance is high. It kind of gives us that flexibility for our listeners to have their own matrix servers And then they can connect in using their own account into our rooms That's the federated aspect of it. And then a lot of free software projects out there also have their own matrix servers and we can connect to them. I can be in their rooms and whatnot. So I love that aspect of it. And it's, It's a lot to run, though, but uh, to me, it's it's worth it.
0: But Discord is a really different model than Matrix, right? Because the Discord company runs all of these quote-unquote servers in the cloud, and they have full visibility to what happens on them, and they also have terms of service. And so they can take away your server or shut down your community if they don't like what they're seeing.
1: Yeah, they can literally just ban your server, as they call it, quote-unquote server, which is probably not actually a full server. My God, I would hope not, considering how many Discord servers there are. But yeah, they can uh, shut down your entire room based on just the conversation. And we started seeing this... A couple of years ago around the election, and it just seems to have gotten wider and wider as time has gone on and the rules keep kind of getting tighter and tighter.
0: And that's why we're talking about this, because I guess one of my email accounts was signed into it or had a Discord account associated with it. So I got a terms of service update and I just thought it was really interesting to look at the restrictions on using this communication platform. There are a lot of community guidelines. Uh, You can't talk about or misrepresent like what's a charitable endeavor and what's a money seeking endeavor. And so so there are rules against like maybe what we might consider fraudulent activity, but there's also a lot of stuff about you can't promote sexually explicit content You cannot monetize communities that have uh, relationships to political activity. So I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of interesting all of the terms and conditions that come with this. And when I read their, especially their monetization terms, it's really interesting because there are 13 guidelines and I'm pretty sure anyone could be shut down if you read one of these guidelines sort of broadly enough. And that got me thinking, because this week I've actually been playing around with Simple X Chat, which is, I mentioned Signal before, which is an end-to-end encrypted private messaging app. It's centrally managed by the Signal Foundation. They maintain the server infrastructure. And so Signal is interesting because it's private, as in no one can read the message except you and the person you're sending the message to. Except, of course, if their or your device is compromised, then if the device is compromised, anyone who is compromised it can read all the messages. But no one in the middle can read the message. Messages. That said, Signal is not interested in providing privacy. Or is it your chats are private, but they're not anonymous? Yes. That sounds right. Right. Private, but not anonymous. Signal knows who you are, they know who you connect to, but they don't know what you say. Mm-hmm. Simple X chat, it takes signals cryptography, which is open source, and it adds a layer of anonymity. Now you can say private things to a person and no one knows who is talking. That's very interesting. And it's very interesting because you can self-host it with no restrictions, essentially.
1: Yeah. And they say it's the first messaging platform that has no user identifiers of any kind. No username, no phone number required. It's just a key, right?
0: That's kind of why it couldn't have been invented, you know, five or 10 years ago. this app generates so many private keys. And the, the way that it handles private keys is really clever. So you can't really create a graph of the keys involved in conversations to figure out who is talking to one another because of the design of this. It's just really, really neat. And I kind of got interested because there's been a lot of discussion about Nostr in the Bitcoin community. And Nostr is something that's kind of different. Nostr does have static identities, it's not optimized for privacy the same way that X Chat is. But I actually discovered that I could not run a popular Nostr stack. On my VPS, my virtual private server in the cloud, because it kind of had a big footprint. And so, what I liked about Simple XChat was that its footprint on the server was super small and super easy to run. And that was very cool. I really want to compare this to Noster. So I'll come back after I've you know booted up my Noster infrastructure and kind of compared the two. But I just think it's really important to be aware that most, if not all, of the communication platforms that you are using right now for private conversation and for commercial activity are owned by someone else. And it is a question of when, not if, you will lose access to them or have your functionality of them reduced.
1: Yeah, I think back to that uh, story about the dad who uh, the mom took some pictures of their son for the uh, telemedicine and sent it to the dad's phone. The dad's phone auto-uploaded it to Google Photos and then Google banned his account and downloaded all of, like 13, 14 years of account history and automatically sent it to the cops. Everything, every text message, email, everything because he was a Google Fi and Google Voice user as well. So what I like about Simple X Chat To me, is and I wonder if you would agree. Is it it feels like it's trying to solve more like the family chat or the small group of friends or a small business chat. It doesn't necessarily feel like it's trying to solve the group chat, and it doesn't seem like it's trying to create or an underlying system, I should say, that you could use to create social media platforms or could use to. It's just really trying to solve private messaging kind of more one-on-one or one-on-a-few?
0: I think so. It's coming at it directly from the privacy angle. And that's cool because Noster is coming at it from the, we want decentralized Twitter angle. Obviously, these two goals won't share the same structure. I really like Chat because Signal is a really good messaging app. It really is just fantastic for keeping in touch with friends, family, and just anybody and communicating securely. And they have great features like disappearing messages. Honestly, I think that that most people you chat with should probably be disappearing messages because like that chat history is going to be some pedantic stuff. But do you really want to leak that? Because if you know, if there's persistent history, someone's going to forget, connect their phone to a Google account, and then it's going to be uploaded to Google and they're going to run chat GPT all over it. Who knows?
1: (laughs) No, I think uh, there's this called Bard.
0: (laughs) That said, signal kind of sucks. And it sucks because one, the signal foundation is not interested in making their server open source. They don't want competitors to running the backend infrastructure. So they remain a centralized entity that could be shut down. They also created their own cryptocurrency called mobile coin. And it was just a crypto ICO scam. And they said, well, the reason we're doing this is to support development of signal, but like, it's not moral to scam, even if you're going to give it all to charity. You know, it's, it's not
1: cool. You know, it's also an ERC 20 token. Bubble coin. It's not even like, yeah, it's just an ERC 20. Ethereum crap coin.
0: Tell me your cryptocurrency is totally a scam and you weren't creative or motivated enough to even build your own blockchain and infrastructure and be thoughtful about it. You just stuck it on Ethereum as an ERC-20.
1: I know. It, it's like as soon as you see it, it's like the mobile coin stuff is is really obnoxious and it definitely took my wind out of my sails about Signal. Uh, so this it uses keys, but it's just using cryptography. It doesn't have a coin associated with it. SimpleX, the fact that the server sounds like it's pretty lightweight also makes it really ideal for just a nice, simple family chat.
0: Yeah, well, the server's lightweight because the server only relays messages. The heavy encryption is being done on the client device. Oh, sure. I don't quite have a way to benchmark how heavy it is on the device. I, I think it's fine for simple chats, but it means that SimpleX chat currently. It gets a little warm when it's doing pictures or videos. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, it, it takes huh. a moment. It's because it's got to inc- chop it all up. Even for these it.
1: modern supercomputers in our pocket, and huh.
0: they're building a decentralized—not decentralized, but they're doing a file transfer tool via Simplex and the Simplex relay server right now. It's a CLI tool as well. Cool. We it's very cool. It might be one of the better like file transfer, encrypted file transfer tools out there already.
1: I could use that. I have to say, yeah. You got a link to their GitHub uh, in the notes where you can see all their various projects as well. Oh man, oh, this is really cool. Yeah, that's fine. I'm gonna. Pl- I I think I'm gonna play around with this. You know, when we saw the news from Blue Wallet this last week, I kind of felt for them. I mean, it really sucks to see that they're shutting down their custodial Lightning Hub stuff. I I understand there's probably listeners out there that may have been using that. But when you read through the team's discussion about it, it's like they set that up as a random thing to see if they could do on a weekend. And then it got into production and then people started putting their funds on it. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like it's just been stressing them out. I'm stressed out just hearing that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. When I heard that, I was like, oh, God, I can actually feel for them. I understand why they're shutting it down. It does suck for end users though.
0: The story was that Blue Wallet, which is a popular Bitcoin wallet that has a Lightning component, the Lightning side of Blue Wallet has to connect to a hub, kind of a a server that's connected to a lightning node. And Blue Wallet was just running their own hub for their users because, you know, why not? People want this. And it sounds like it got way too big. And also, well, now you're technically custodying money. So this makes you a target for regulators and regulators will send you to jail if you do this and you don't do KYC and AML and all this stuff.
1: And it's just a risky environment in that regard right now.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, and they're probably running this on a VPS. I mean, the idea of storing hot (laughs) funds on a virtual server in someone else's data center. I mean, this is how Luke Dasher got 200 Bitcoin stolen, doing that. Risky proposition. Yeah. Very reasonable that they would not want to do that. But friend of the show, Darth Coin, hope he is a friend of the show. He'll probably let us know on Twitter if he's not. He has a guide on his Substack about kind of walking you through. Okay, I have a Blue Wallet account. I've got lightning funds on there. What do I do? Do I host my own backend? Do I try to send the funds off and take them on chain? And he has guides and suggestions for kind of anything you want to do. He even has a guide with some pictures and I love it. You know, when someone takes a screenshot and then with the mouse, they like draw a circle and draw an arrow and it always looks really janky. He's done that too. And it's very clear what you have to do. You know, I really like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll take the jank, you know, cause it is, it is, uh, it's- also the the scratching out of his QR code and his URL also a bit janky looking but I'll take it it works <laughs> I know it just works it's great so
0: thank you so much for your work on this Darth Coin uh, just uh, I love you guys it's it's great to see just really helpful stuff that was clearly written because he he was like okay people are in trouble this is a problem I'm just going to write this you know <laughs>
1: I guess it was a, a problem of success for BlueWallet, and uh, this is probably better. One of the things I do appreciate about BlueWallet is you can also just point it at your own node. And that's pretty easy to do if you have a node in the box like Umbral or... There's the uh, Citadel one. There's also the, like, the, the Star 9. I can't... I, are- Star 9. Yeah, Star 9. Thank you. There's a couple of really great ones Star out there. Star 9
0: is a paid-for one. I was going to talk to them because yeah? it's kind of an interesting model. I really wanted to get into Nick's Bitcoin. Yeah, me it turn- too.
1: It's just a lot.
0: Yeah, the problem with Nick's Bitcoin is that Nick's Bitcoin is really good if you have a really nice laptop or a nice desktop computer that you keep on all the time and you want to do Bitcoin, but you don't want to just install it on your computer right there. So you kind of create this like Nix VM sort of on your machine. So it's kind of like you don't have a server, but it creates a virtual server, a little virtual machine inside your computer. So if you have like a powerful consumer machine, this is a great option. And you learn a little Nix. At the same time, if you've already got your own servers and your own virtual infrastructure, you're like, well, I'm not going to create a virtual machine inside a virtual machine. You know, what is this,
1: Inception? Well, you know, Maybe that's where the Bitcoin price doubles. The deeper you go, it could be it. The deeper you go, the slower time moves. We'll never (laughs) (laughs) hyper-Bitcoinize. More time to stack. (laughs) Yeah, I do actually have a day, a daydream from time to time about like, I just kind of sit back and ponder like, how will I rebuild my node one day um, and really get a production grade? And I do think it might be a Proxmox instance that runs, uh, you know, a build it from, from the ground up node, maybe most likely on Nix. So one day, one day, yeah. because, you know, what gets fragile is all of the management stuff around it on these tooling, usually. And so if you can get comfortable with it, maybe using something like Umbral and then transition to something that's a little more minimal, I think you'd probably be better off.
0: Uh, well, I'm working on that because I've been building my own um, Ansible roles to install various uh, Bitcoin infrastructure components. So I'll try to make that public at some point in the future when I think it isn't embarrassing and then maybe it'll be helpful.
1: This seems like a good way to do it, too. Well, this here episode of the Bitcoin Dad Pod is brought to you by Linux Unplugged 500, landing in just a couple of days as we record this very excited 500 episodes of the world's largest Linux podcast. We talk about all kinds of things, including topics that appeal to non-Linux users or people that are maybe a little Linux curious. Check it out at LinuxUnplugged.com.
0: Linux curious. I think I had that in my Tinder bio.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're just willing to consider. You're open to uh, the Linux lifestyle potentially, but you're not currently participating.
0: Today you said it was a slow news week, and I kind of feel that looking at Bitcoin Optech 240.
1: I agree. I mean, faster seed backup checksums, that is a good thing. I like seeing that. We got a Bitcoin improvement proposal for better seeds, right? I mean, I'll take that.
0: The thing is, I can read this description on how to increase the effectiveness and the protection against typos in seed checksumming uh-huh. but i don't think i would have been able to finish this paragraph 6 months ago.
1: Huh. That's a, is that that's a good sign?
0: Yeah, i think so. I mean, cuz it's like sometimes you just see so many yeah specialist words codex 32. You, your brain just shuts down. Yeah. Maybe it's useful to mention it to people who don't want to read it but i don't
1: You're acc- the more you expose yourself you begin to acclimate to it. You begin to even uh, even a small optic, is still pretty nice. And It's
0: always nice to see the notable code and documentation changes because Mm -hmm. these iterative improvements on code speak to the Bitcoin software just getting better, more performant, more reliable over time. And it's been a decade. So we've got a really good piece of software here that works really well. A couple of years ago, I was less into the Linux and Bitcoin space, and I did not appreciate how important software that works well is However, having to use Windows in a business environment has taught me that the majority of software is garbage. And so when you find good software that works for you, hold it tight. Don't let go.
1: Well said. Completely, completely agree. It is particularly egregious in the enterprise space the software is so bad <laughs> do you think that's a title bitcoin hold it tight <laughs> <laughs> people are gonna think you hodl it tight it yeah. tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a great point yeah good optic though there is some good notable stuff in there so number 240 fresh on the interwebs
0: remember you can get in touch bitcoin dadpot at protonmail.com i say the show twitter handle but i just have not logged in in so long i don't know why i can't bring myself to do it it just seems like the last thing i would do kind of it's not like
1: i hate twitter i just it also, it's like, it's like one of those things like when you start eating potato chips, you can't stop. You know? It's just junk food that's bad for you, and then you get sucked in. The next thing you know, you're going back again. Oh, I'm already logged in. I'll go back again.
0: I solved that problem by only eating potatoes.
1: Yeah? Just- and by uninstalling the Twitter app from your phone.
0: I never had the Twitter app on my phone. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I didn't mm-hmm. get addicted. Mm-hmm. I actually only use Twitter via the tour page, so it works really badly.
1: Oh, that's a good way, really that's rough. a good way to yourself from getting hooked on it is just make it a really crappy degraded experience right exactly because
0: i know you're dealing with digital super cocaine there so i don't want to mess around with getting hooked
1: yeah the people that are listening right now say oh, i don't get hooked you're so hooked you're right so now. you're, it's, you're oh, gone it's gross you're gone
0: this is too late for you
1: <laughs> we got some boosts into the show this week i mentioned we got some great boosts and bitcoin lizard came in with fifty thousand sats Dad, you articulate the problems with Ethereum better than anyone. Your show is Bitcoin and macro focus, but it's important for people to understand why these altcoins are doomed to failure. Thanks for putting out a must-listen podcast week after week. Well, here, here, I agree. I think you do fantastic takedowns on Ethereum. After we talk about stuff around Ethereum, sometimes off-air, I think, how is nobody talking about this? <laughs> how how is everybody just going along with this this is crazy oh
0: thank you so much that's a big boost really appreciate it and i'm feeling a little misty reading that Pitar boosts in with 55,555 sats. I think that's our show mega boost this week. I want to say thank you guys for your continuing crusade to debunk crypto, quotation marks, and NFT scams, which unfortunately are still prevalent in the space. Corey Klippenstein's thesis titled The Race to Avoid the War crystallized in my mind the fact that there will be a huge price to pay for our inaction. Keep it coming.
1: Well, Patar, it's great to see you again been a minute nice to have you back on our boost list and that's a very generous boost too thank you yeah so i think if you were if i were going to very poorly summarize Corey's thesis there i think it is we have a certain amount of time to basically get critical mass and adoption and uh the faster we get to user adoption, more, more user adoption, the harder it would be for a particular government like the US government to outright ban, stop, attack Bitcoin, more likely that they would have to try to work with it. And I think we're there, but we're not necessarily there yet. I think it's an interesting idea. I'm probably not giving the whole idea its full justice, but that was my interpretation of it.
0: And I think it's generally important to raise your voice when you see something that is misleading or maybe a financial scam, especially if it's affinity scamming with something that is important or that you are associated with. So SBF's treatment after defrauding FTX customers and investors kind of makes me think that at a certain level, law enforcement doesn't really care about scams. And if you learn about the OneCoin saga and other crypto Ponzi schemes, law enforcement does very little and they always act very late. And I think scams, are hard to distinguish from legitimate things sometimes sometimes they aren't but they are very very damaging to people it's a terrible experience to be scammed and we should try to protect people from that and sometimes shouting at them that their thing is a scam is not the best way to do that so it's difficult but we should mm-hmm. keep trying.
1: One other thought I have, too, is I think one, one of the things that kind of made me decide to start talking more publicly about Bitcoin again and uh, the boost on the Jupiter Broadcasting shows is there is a bit of, I feel like, a higher quality of life when you start uh, adopting Bitcoin and stacking Bitcoin. I think it gives you kind of a self-control, sense of self-control, but also uh, a sense of savings. And it starts making you think a little more long-term. I've noticed that in multiple people as they've started getting more serious into Bitcoin. And I think that's extremely healthy. You start kind of making plans to live a little bit longer. You start thinking about that kind of stuff. That's a fascinating thing. It's, 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 a, it's a technology that improves life. It, it's an improving technology for humanity. And so to just kind of sit on it and not say anything felt wrong almost, I suppose.
0: People are great at responding to incentives and Bitcoin is about long-term incentives. Yeah, So that's cool.
1: Blender boosts in with 15,933 sats. Thank you, as always, for the informative and entertaining podcast episode. It would be great if you did a guest episode with an accountant that could provide some basic recommended record-keeping practices for individuals that are filing taxes on sats. You could get questions for the guest in advance through the the booths to help facilitate preparation. An example question would be, what records are sufficient to use for LIFO or HIFO accounting for capital gains calculations without future audit issues.
0: Well, thank you for the boost and specific... Request? Request, request, yeah. yeah. Honestly, you've thought about this more than I have because... I thought, well, you know, spec ID is the way to go, obviously, but I didn't even think, well, what documents would you need to provide? I imagine it's a pretty nascent space, Mm -hmm. crypto tax compliance, especially because the major participants in crypto finance on the altcoin chains, especially on Ethereum, let's be honest, they are not tax compliant at the individual level. Maybe the hedge funds have to be, but individuals in that space, they are not paying their capital gains taxes, for sure not, because it's so complicated. And I don't think that there is necessarily an official guidance on how to do it yet
1: indeed it's something i am keeping an eye on because i know it's a concern for some folks and so as i learn more i'll try to share more but also you know maybe there will be an opportunity to talk to somebody who knows we'd have to handle that right we'll see but that's a good thing for us to start thinking about
0: mere Immortals podcast boosts in a row of ducks 2222 sats Last week's boosts were a bit negative, so I'll inject some positivity. (laughs) I also went to a Bitcoin meetup and learned about the beef initiative from Texas Slim. What did you learn from your meetup, Dad? Hey. Hey. Thanks so much for the uh, interest. Uh, The meetup I went to was discussing essentially how upgrades to Taproot could be incorporated into lightning channels and how this creates some very... How to put it, complicated but appealing enhancements to Lightning that a end user would probably never notice, but is very fascinating from a network design and cryptographic standpoint.
1: Ah, that sounds like a good time. Especially uh if you can have a beer while you're listening to that conversation.
0: Well, there were beers afterwards. Okay, good. And I'll take need, that too. You need a beer after that. Yeah, you do, right?
1: You <laughs> maybe you want to be fresh while you're yeah. You know Mirror Mortals, that's really awesome that you got up to date on the beef initiative. I, I also heard like a podcast with Texas Slim and that started my journey to find a local rancher here. Um, and I did it through like a website that I think Texas Slim is associated with that finds all the farmers and ranchers that will take sats for beef. And I don't think they were particularly associated with the beef initiative, but I found them through that process. And now I've got a local rancher. It's pretty cool. Um, good luck on your journey. Marcel Busin, with 5,999 sats he says the government having all your data is one thing, but what about when it gets leaked? What about when the bad guys find the back door. Encryption with a back door can never be trusted. I think you guys probably feel the same. I just wanted to emphasize it. It really grinds my gears. Thanks for the great episode. BCDP is a highlight of my week.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Marcel.
1: Well, thank you, Marcel. Your boosts are a highlight of our week. And we love it when
0: people share the same opinion as us because it makes us feel right. Of course, there's no such thing as security with a back door. The the back door is a security hole. That's by design. So you're completely right. Yeah. Data collection is just being done in a very careless, thoughtless, and irresponsible way because eventually everything will be leaked.
1: And we've actually gotten I can't cite them off the top of my head, but we've actually seen examples over the years of encryption that was designed with a backdoor uh, at the government's request. And then... You know, eight, nine years later, after it's out in the field, it starts getting compromised like crazy. And uh, vendors have to scramble to flash all of their routers and other types of embedded devices to take this thing out. Because, oh, it turns out that back door, while it seemed secure eight, nine years ago, fast forward technology gets faster, and all of a sudden that backdoor is easy to pick.
0: Thought Criminal, great name, sends in a row of ducks 2,222 sats. Fun fact, I can register Shady Shell LLC with less invasive KYC than it takes to put a few sats in my fountain wallet with a bank card. Does everybody get the cavity search? Question mark. Yes, yes we all do. It's somehow worse over mobile. The whole deal kind of makes me want to register the corp so I can teach these bit-blocking tradfi shills a lesson in off-chain finance schadenfreude. But I know it would disappoint my Bitcoin dad. So for now, it's evil dreams and better angels.
1: Yeah, you know what I was thinking is, it's crazy that here in Washington state, along the whole West coast, really, you can go in to one of many of the cannabis stores and you can buy a federally illegal substance with your debit card, but you can't with no like invasive KYC process. Like they might Wait, look at your, your ID.
0: With your debit card? Yeah. Here's some,
1: yeah mm-hmm. I thought they only accepted cash. You're going to the wrong stores, my friend. <laughs> Come on. You need to upgrade. And uh, you know what? It, you can't, but you can't buy some sats. It's just crazy to me. It's absolutely bonkers how uh, it's obvious that it's because it's an alternative outside the financial system. And so that's why they just react. So inflationary, but I hate it. I hate it so much. Bafo comes in with, a 32,000 sat boost. Nice one, Baffo. He says, uh, I'm all in for a BCDP trucker hat for sure. It's so weird. I was actually
0: thinking about this this morning because a local bakery made a beautiful wool trucker hat. mm, so expensive. I can't, oh, yeah. I can't believe my wife bought it for me. It was such a treat. I want to see it. But I wear it all the time. I feel like you got a face for a trucker hat. and In a good way. Right. <laughs> Can we put the trucker hat over the whole face? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> But I was thinking, gosh, that would be so fun! Like getting a really nice one. Yeah, so, that's
1: that was that's how I got myself into robes for Coda Radio, and let me tell you, what a nightmare! That's it's such been. a nightmare
0: though, because I wouldn't want to ship them anywhere, because uh-uh. doing fulfillment is such an absolute nightmare. Yeah,
1: and expensive.
0: It would be a thing where. I'd like spend a whole bunch of money, have Mm -hmm. a whole bunch that I couldn't wear. And then like over 10 years, sell them. Like if I remember to bring them in my backpack, that's why I think you got
1: to lean into the whole trucker theme. Cause then I think it's a doable, I know places, fulfillment places that have trucker hats.
0: Oh, so it's like using a company that also does
1: fulfillment for it and they just, okay. They do international shipping for you. It's way simpler. But you're But I can't, mean is it
0: is going to be high quality because well, it's got to be.
1: I think you got to order one for yourself and test it first. That is picky. That mm-hmm. is really yeah. Picky. You got to try it because. But you got to embrace the motif. I think. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I hear you. You could always do the fancy hat one day for like you know a special episode.
0: Oh, but it is a trucker hat. It's just why not take a trucker hat? Yeah, and over design it. Yeah, make yeah. it out of premium. Yeah, it's like, the, it's like the
1: Porsche or Lexus or Cadillac. Yeah, like the hats. strap is yeah. is
0: leather in the back, and you know, it's like a leather... You know, right. yeah, I, can, nice. I can go
1: get the GM sedan, but instead I'm going to get the Cadillac, which is like a rebatch. But it's nice, because it's got the nice interior, the better speakers. And
0: it's all open source. Oh. I don't know. In, my, in my fantasy, it's all <laughs> okay. open source. Open source you know? And okay. self-repair, right yeah, to repair. Right. It comes with a, a Come, tool kit. Comes with a little extra thread. <laughs> yeah. It's a needle in there. Also, don't go through
1: security. <laughs> <laughs> no. But we're working on a Bafo. We're working on it.
0: Scott boosts in with 2,500 sats. Cry for help. Uh-oh. How do I help my local community get interested in Bitcoin? I have some friends and family who have been getting more interested, but it takes time. I tried orange peeling my farmer's market once, but got called a scammer. That's, that
1: sucks. It's, it's, that, the narratives are that deep. Scott, you have to stop boiling that ocean. <laughs> yeah. Instead, why don't you go play around with ChatGPT or do some video gaming? That's much better.
0: I heard that Ethereum moved to proof of stake. Why can't Bitcoin? Yeah, it's just a code update, bro. All you need to do is change your social consensus. Yeah, come on, update the code. Nick Carter also mentioned, you know, the U.S. could update its code to be a constitutional monarchy. Yeah, right. <laughs> could you always do that? Just,
1: yeah, just it's update the constitution. Technically
0: possible, yeah. technically possible. It is. Scott continues, mm. I'm trying to start a Bitcoin club at a local high school. But getting people interested is tricky. Any ideas? By the way, you guys are my favorite podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Scott.
1: Boy, Scott, I feel you there because you're dealing with the stuff that gets me so worked up. Like whenever I get ranty on the show, it's whenever like people are leaning into these narratives that completely undercut Bitcoin, because what it allows the no coiners to do is to condense an extremely complicated, nuanced topic like Bitcoin to a single issue. And I hate that. If they just condense it all down to like, well, well, you're boiling the oceans or you're a scammer, you know, and it, it's anti-intellectual. And um, I don't really think you can come right at those folks. I don't think it works because they're kind of they're kind of dug in on their position.
0: Yeah. So if you just say, well, no, you're wrong and X, Y, Z, then they just get combative and you know, don't like you. So I think that when you're dealing with people who are very anti-Bitcoin or they have some, you know, poorly preconceived notions, I try to use nonviolent link communication. And so that means that you never say but. When you say but, you can you, know, you could say I see that your view is that Bitcoin boils the ocean, but actually it doesn't. The the but negates the first statement and it it actually is like kind of th- it's like a slap in the face a little. So you could say at the same time, a lot of other industries consume far more energy, such as metals mining, steel, the car, anything, basically. tumble dryers, tumble dryers, Christmas, Christmas lights. Tree lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cruise industry. Oh god. So why is it that the Cruise industry's use of fossil fuels, which is much greater than the Bitcoin industry's use of fossil fuels, is not a problem to you, and then you can have an interesting conversation because then you know if they're willing to engage, they can say, "Well, that's interesting. I guess I just accepted that the cruise cruise ships exist."
1: Yeah, well, we've always had tumble dryers as long as I've been alive. We've all had microwaves. Yeah, of course, we've all had hair dryers. What's wrong with that? It seems that
0: the energy usage really isn't the problem. There's some moral judgment about what people are doing with it. I agree. So if you're trying to start a Bitcoin club at a local high school, It sounds like you might be a high school student, which means that we might be breaking the law in Europe right now by communicating with you. Well, don't point it out. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Violation. So I don't know much about starting a club at school. I imagine that if the club has a kind of academic purpose, like you're going to run nodes or learn about Linux and open source or experiment with creating blockchain transactions and smart contracts and time locks and things like that, that sounds very interesting. Like that could be very useful skills one day. So if I were running a school, I'd be really excited if a student wanted to do those things. At the same time, if the club is more sort of Austrian monetary philosophy, they might be, I don't know, maybe less excited in the sense that it's cool that people want to talk about these things, but a discharitable way to view that is, oh, you want to start a club to talk about right-wing Conspiracy theories or something.
1: I like your idea it's a, of a Bitcoin club because it would create sort of a group of advocates. So it wouldn't necessarily be all on you. It'd be, you know, a group of people that could kind of work in the community and, and over time would communicate with people. And that to me seems like it could be a successful strategy. But Scott, I suspect you may be a little early on this. Um, because you are in high school potentially. Maybe there's I don't know a lot of maybe you're not, maybe you're a high school teacher for all I know, but but I don't know a lot of high school students that are thinking very deep about what is hard money and, um, That's going to be tricky because you might be unique in that way. It doesn't mean your idea is bad. I don't know if there's perhaps another place, maybe you could begin to organize online and then that uh, develop into something else. So I like your club idea. I just think it needs refinement. But I also have another suggestion for you people follow leadership and success. And so if you can do something that demonstrates leadership and success, people will just begin to copy what you're doing because most of the world is filled with NPCs that just need to be told what is good, what is bad, and what to do. And they need someone. Someone to show them the way. And so you have to show them the way, Scott. You have to be doing something with Bitcoin that is interesting and successful. Now, I don't know what that might be, but it could take time, could take years to develop, but it's something to consider is another way to convince people is be the success you want. And they'll just follow because that's what most people do is they look for somebody else to beat the path and then they'll follow in those footsteps. And I'm not being mean here. It's just the reality of human nature. You could be a little bit on the cutting edge. You might be a little bit of an early adopter. And so you got to think about ways to make it appealing to people who are further back on that adoption curve.
0: And it could be fun projects like using a lightning node, connecting wallets to lightning nodes, sending sats back and forth instantaneously. Maybe you have a friend in another country, you could send them some sats and back. I think the problem with a school club is that Bitcoin is a financial technology. And so they might be concerned about supporting something that has financial applications. And if they're thinking about KYC and liability and whatnot, you know, that could really trigger administrators and people with things to lose. Hmm school side
1: you know what too they're always going to err on the side of caution like if anything feels a little sus or they're a little uncomfortable with anything shut it down yeah i mean scott i was trying to talk to people about linux and they were having heart attacks about me talking about linux and now you're talking about a totally new financial technology right i mean you get my drift there but thank you everybody who boosted into the show we really appreciate it even those of you who just quietly turn on the sat streaming and send those sats for those of you who sign, send a little nice boost along but no message, like Adopting Bitcoin sent 4,200 sats this week with no message. We see you, though, and others out there who boost in. And, of course, thank you to everybody who downloads and listens to the show. If you'd like to send this here pod a boost, one of the easiest ways these days is to go to getalbi.com, grab that, then go to the podcast index, find the Bitcoin data on there, use the link in the notes, and you can just, after you have Albi topped off, you can just boost right there from the webpage. Of course, you can also grab a podcasting 2.0 app, new podcast apps, Dot com. They're always getting better all the time. If you're on iOS, I just hear great things about Cast-O-Matic. Podverse is my app of choice. And of course, Fountain, if you want to earn them sats while you listen to a podcast.
0: This has been the Bitcoin Dad Pod, recorded on March 4th, 2023. I'm your Bitcoin Dad, and I'm here, as always, in person, sometimes, maybe, occasionally. Me? Oh, Chris, thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time.